I don't often say it like this, but it's like, don't be a coward. Like, why are you afraid to look inside of yourself? Why are you afraid to explore your weaknesses and vulnerabilities? Like, you know, man up, woman up, like, let's look at what's there and get it done so you can go on with yourself. Imagine if every moment of every day was unscheduled, unknown, and uncertain. Where you had to choose between your life and the life of another. Where you were deployed somewhere in the world to face an unknown threat and an unseen enemy. This is the podcast designed to serve those who serve us. So join me as we unpack and uncover why we do what we do when we do it from life's most extreme moments. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman, and this is Mindset Radio. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. This is your Monday morning episode, and today I have, well, a woman that I consider to be the real-life Dr. Wendy Rhodes. Uh, For those of you that are Billions fans out there, that's how I like to refer to her, Dr. Sherry Walling, who is an amazing psychologist, uh, primarily dealing with entrepreneurs. She's uh, the head shed boss over there at Zen Founder. Um, and, you know, has worked with leaders and entrepreneurs, people across the fire service, people across the law enforcement community. Uh, if you haven't picked up her book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together, you probably should because there's a lot of relevance in it for us in our lives. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but primarily, you know, Dr. Walling has a tremendous experience working with people in high intensity jobs. And that's why I've asked her to come on today. She's done a lot of work with the VA uh, in areas like PTSD. She did her postdoctoral fellowship at the National Center for PTSD in Boston. She's worked with CEOs, first responders, surgeons, police officers, and a lot of military and a lot of military families. And so, Dr. Walling, i.e. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so glad to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, and you make me sound like like an adrenaline junkie by proxy. <laughs> like, I just like, love hanging out with like really high intensity people, which is, I guess, not wrong. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's not wrong. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's it. And I think you create the here's what I've learned. And I think I've said this before with some of the other psychologists we've had on the show. There is a group of psychologists who really get the worlds we operate in. And when you find somebody who gets it, there's a real benefit and kind of this max value and max contribution that occurs. And there's this really unique relationship that occurs. And I, that's why I asked you to come on the show because I feel like you've, you've brought that together in your, in your work and in what you do. Yeah. It's also, it's been a personal journey for me too, because I came into some of this stuff as an academic, but, but now I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm married to an entrepreneur. So you know, I, I, I've sort of have felt some of these intense ups and downs from, from the inside out now, um, which I think actually helps me be better at my work. But, you know, even though you are somebody who thinks about these topics, you don't, you're not exempt from like having to struggle through them yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and I think that's why it kind of makes it, it works, right? Cause you, you experience what, your clients experience as well, you know, time to time. So you actually, 
you're living your own space. And so I think that really gives you a, a unique insight rather than, you know, just being the psychologist goes home and everything's great there and, you know, stable billing hours and everything else. You're out hunting, moving, making things happen, <laughs> speaking, right? You're, you're on it and you're married to one as I'm well. I'm on the road. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, I think that's why, that's why I wanted you to come on today because I, I, I feel like, and I've said this again before, there's kind of this separation between the world of psychology and the operational world. Like there's this, there's still kind of this wall, if you will, between uh, how do I get help when I need help? How do I say I need help when I need help? And is that going to be okay and accepted or not? And I know in my time growing up, you know, we didn't talk about these things. You sucked it up. You dealt with it. You were challenged by things. If you needed support, it was shown, it was, you know, felt like a sign of weakness or an inability to perform. Uh, and so I really want to, I want, I'd like to take today and kind of go through some things where we actually look at that conversation, if that's all right with you. Sure. And it's an interesting starting place too, because that, you know, I think a lot of the folks that I work with really high intensity outcome driven folks, um, will make decisions based on what is going to help them be successful. And I think that whole conversation around like, oh, can I see a psychologist? Can I talk to a therapist? Can I see a coach? That feels so like mushy and and as you're saying, potentially a sign of weakness when really it's one of those kind of investments in yourself and in your well-being and in your business and in your sort of functioning as a professional that has such great kind of clear outcomes in, in sustaining your ability to stay in your work for the long run that I, I just want to like flip it on its head in a way that it's not necessarily, you know, the decision to seek help or to see somebody like me is not an emotion-based decision. It's like a logic-based decision. Yes. Um, and I I think people sort of think about the wrong metrics and, you know, life is very different now. Like I, I hope that as we go on more and more of the stigma around words like mental illness will disappear because that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about how to make you awesome at your work and alive in your family. And anything that helps you accomplish that is a great investment of your time and energy. Yeah, I, you know, I totally, I have this, <laughs> since today I met you, like, I have this vision of you, like, in the back of the firehouse going, okay, you're next, let's go, let's get the shit out of your way, and let's put you back in that fire truck and make you perform like a rock star, you know what I mean? Like, like that's the, and I think if we had that idea that said, hey, I, that's what I go, that's how I perform, that's how I elevate my game, that's how I perform at the levels that I actually want to perform at, is by taking some of these things on and doing these things. Like it's, it's, it's the antithesis of weakness, right? It's, it's actually, right. it's like, I don't often say it like this, but it's like, don't be a coward. Like, why are you afraid to look inside of yourself? Why are you afraid to explore your weaknesses and vulnerabilities? Like, you know, man up, woman up, like, let's look at what's there and get it done. So you can go on with yourself, go on with your life. I love that. You know, I mean, I think that that's it. And that's to me, the if we if we had that attitude and we had a community that kind of carried that attitude, I think we would we would all be at least leaning towards the life that we really want. 
right? Because we have, we want this life of service. We we're very committed to our jobs, what we do, the people that we serve, the communities that we serve. I mean, I still have a hard time when people are like the other day, someone's like, Hey, thank you for your service. And I just, ah, I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of but when people say that, I don't know why I'm sure there's something there that you could dissect, but, uh, I, like I, if we just got more on it and, and say, listen, these are the things there's impact to my life. There's things that, that hit us that impact us and we got to deal with it. Then the question is, how do we deal with that, that appropriately? So, you know, you know, the stresses that we deal with, you know, the things that we face, uh, out there, uh, on the streets and the things that we see and the things that we participate in, how do you, how do you see the best ways to deal with some of those things? Like, how do I, how do I recover kind of moment to moment, uh, from different things? Yeah, I think when we're, we're talking about facing significant stress, like high anxiety, highly traumatic experiences sometimes. I mean, I certainly worked with lots of first responders or, or f physicians or folks who are, you know, literally like carrying the bodies of dead children, like very, very traumatic experiences that you're having just as, you know, another day at work, part of your job. Um, we have to tell the truth about those things being painful. They, they should be painful. That's what it means to be human. And so there's um, strategies that we want to think about both from like a thought perspective. So when you are seeing emergency after emergency, after painful experience, after painful experience, even though you don't necessarily take on those things emotionally, it's easy to begin to see the world in a different way, in a way that's scary, in a way that's unsafe. You know, there's this theory called the just world hypothesis that we all kind of walk around with these basic assumptions of good things happen to good people. The world is basically fair. Bad things happen to bad people. The math kind of works out. And if you are in one of these jobs, th there's no way that you believe that to be true. Like you have this deep sense of like the randomness and um, kind of ferocity of the world that can really do a number on the way that you see your own safety, the safety of your children, the way that you see the people around you. And I think that's one of the things that people have to sort of actively work on, on the day by day, um, to realize that because they're seeing terrible, painful things happen, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that those things are going to happen to them or that it puts their children at risk or, you know, to kind of grapple with the existential randomness of things is not an easy job, but something that I think has to be done from a sort of cognitive intellectual perspective. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here all of a sudden thinking, crap. So we just finished this RV trip to, to Denver uh, and back. And I got to tell you, like two things. One, when Morgan was driving, like my anxiety was through the roof. Hmm. And it's not because she's not a good driver, but it's like, is she thinking about all these things? Like, is she going too fast into this curve? Do you know, if somebody did something, there's, you know, she's not like accounting for uh what could sort of happen like does right you know all of the dangers that you know yeah i mean and when i'm driving i'm like watching things i'm looking i'm like okay you know what if this happened right now like and, and i and it's like i can't turn that off you know what i'm saying like it's i yeah. see things happening 
in this predictive state that it's like, and I really noticed that. I mean, you're talking years later, but it's like, I, I know the results of and how things occur out there. Cause I've seen, you know, what happens and you know, how do I, cause then I, then I'm anxious. And then she's like, why are you anxious? And you know, she's like, she can pick up on my energy of like this, this high level of discomfort. Like, you're, and you're, then she's offended because yeah, you're she's all right. Your ability to drive. Right. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, no, I, and I'm not in control. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. you know, where you're, do you know your center of gravity when you're driving a bigger rig? Right. I mean, all these things are like going through my brain. Uh, and I'm just realizing that now, like how and anxious I was. You know, yeah, how many things can go wrong. But now that you recognize that that's what's happening in your mind, like what would make that a more enjoyable RV trip? Like how can you <laughs> shift that thought pattern now that you've called it out on yourself and yeah. with all of your listeners? Yeah, seriously. Well, that's part of what I do here, right? Because I mean, I think we all deal with that, right? It's this it's this this kind of i i'm not a so i'll just say it like i'm not a big proponent of the ptsd stuff i think there are significant incidents that happen and yes there's a bunch there but i think what a lot of us deal with more than a particular incident it's a chronic exposure to things oh, yeah. and a chronic heightened level of anxiety or stress or whatever right it's just this perpetual state that we have to keep ourselves in uh to be ready for whatever sure yeah and and that gets exhausting over time i mean i guess i don't know i could have looked at her and said all right babe listen here's i need you to know what's going on for me right now it has nothing to do with you driving this vehicle if i didn't trust you driving this vehicle you wouldn't be driving the vehicle right because we're all in yeah. it uh, but that so you say that out loud to her but then in your mind you you practice saying like I trust my wife. She's mm. a competent driver. She's yeah. very, very motivated to get us there safely. She's careful. She loves me. She loves our kids. She's careful. And, and to sort of actively re-imprint that kind of thought on your brain, not super comfortable, but gonna, <laughs> gonna be helpful. Gonna be helpful on the road trip. Yeah, gonna definitely be. Well, I think that's okay. So that's that leads us to like this place of crap. I feel like we don't talk about, which is this unspoken, and I'll call it unspoken anxiety. You may have a different word for it that we carry out of our lives into everyone else's. Yes, and the challenge there is that anxiety is contagious yeah. right? all emotion is contagious but anxiety is particularly contagious and it should be sort of from like an evolutionary perspective like if we're in the tribe and we see that our other tribe members are nervous about something because there's a i don't know like a, a tiger running around nearby like we're going to pick up that anxiety we we should it helps us be safe it helps us keep the tribe safe but in a family when you are when you are immersed in a job that is just sort of marinating in anxiety, in fear response, in high adrenaline experiences, and you bring that stuff home to your family, your, you know, your significant other, your children, they, they pick up on it without you saying a word, just by the way that you show up at a cellular physiological level. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, as a, so that's one of the things I struggle with too for years because I feel like until Declan came along, right? <laughs> a year and a half ago, like I've had no other men around me. It's been, you know, mom, sister, wife, ex-wife, two daughters, like it's all been women and they ping off of me. Like, I don't even feel like I have the capacity to be whatever it is I need to be in a moment or frustrated or anxious or upset or whatever without like this traumatic impact. And it's like, guys, I'm just, can I just be, can I just be yeah. pissed for a minute? Can I just be like upset for a minute? Can I just be frustrated for a minute? I mean, that's, that's a like, they're very sensitive to your oh, emotional, yeah. right? your ups and downs. To yeah, your, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, and I think that's been when I look back over, you know, my, the entirety of my life, that's been kind of a perpetual issue. And then in my brain, I'm sitting there going, well, what am I doing wrong? Or what do I need to be? And, you know, I, and then it's like, how do I be, ser how, do, how do I be in service to them? So it's like this constant conflict that happens. I mean, and I hope, I hope the people listening and, and that's not, I mean, I think that goes men or women. I don't think that's just a man yeah. thing. I'm just speaking for my relevance, you know, cause I think if you've got, uh, and I know, uh, you know, female police officers that go home to their husbands and their families still carry that same energy in. And it's disruptive. Like you said, it's like you show up. How do I, how do I, it's for I, the battle zone. Yeah. How do it's I, it's perfect there. So it's not perfect at home. Yeah. How do I make that transition? Like, how do I, how do I settle? Yeah. I feel like there are, there are many, many things that we could say about this. Sure. Um, sure. Like number one is to realize you are making a transition. You are sort of taking off one version of yourself and putting on another version of yourself. And they're both equally you. It's both fully you, but you need different parts of yourself in these different roles. So, you know, to, to, to know I have to shift now and whatever you need to do to shift might look different. It might mean that you need to take like a 30 minute buffer between the end of your, you, you know, your shift at work and the beginning of your shift at home. And in that 30 minute buffer, you would do a intense workout. You meditate, you go for a walk, you draw, you, you know, you do something that activates a different side of you hmm. that kind of lets you, your brain move through a process of like, I can let go of high intensity, defending the world, protecting people, keeping people safe and move into a place of, I now am going to join my family where I reciprocally give and take. Hmm. I give to people emotionally, I give protection, I give help, but I'm also open to receiving those things. And that's the, that's the, the deal with the job is that you provide protection, you provide help, you provide all of these things, but you don't, you know, you don't take whether you're, you know, a paramedic or a cop, like you're not on the receiving end of that protection from other people, except, you know, your partners, but d definitely not most of the people that you interact with in a day. But when you're going home, you're all, you got to be willing to shift into a place where you are open to receiving. And that's a tricky transition because it, it doesn't necessarily feel safe unless you can make yourself do the transition. Yeah. I mean, cause it's not even, you know, it's not, even if you don't run anything over the course of the day, even if you don't have any significant response over the course of the day or significant issue over the course of the day, 
you still are on, right? You're still yeah. geared up. And yeah, I mean, I think that's been uh, even being out of that world, right? Just the, the consistent impact of living in that world for so long today for me, that's hard. That's hard to come home and, and, and look to receive safety and care from my wife. Like that's, yeah. I, I have to say that's, that's. It doesn't feel intuitive. It doesn't feel like that's part of you. No, because I have to continue to be this person. I have to continue to be a provider and I have to continue to do these things and make sure everybody's taken care of and dinner is on the table. But, she, but can somebody... drive. she can drive the damn RV. <laughs> <laughs> You've told yourself that you have to be. Yes. Because yes. if you let your guard down in another situation, bad things will happen. Right. But at home, that's not true. If you don't let your guard down, bad things will happen. Damn the you, Sherry Walling. True, <laughs> <laughs> let her fucking drive. Yes, 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 yes. And yeah, and shut up and relax and sit back and actually enjoy that I get to ride and, and don't have a responsibility to drive, to be on you know, to rest. I, I talked to a interviewed a police officer years ago and he and his partner had a really cool rule, which was at lunch, they would go in at lunch and, you know, we're always trying to sit your, you know, sit in the back of the restaurant, back to the wall, keep your eyes on everything else. What they would do is one of them would be on for the first half of lunch. Like they would set a mm -hmm. clock and they would mm -hmm. be looking, paying attention because yep. you have to these days, right? There's no, you can't shut yeah. it off all the time. So there in the restaurant, one would watch, the other one would sit with his back to the restaurant and actually relax, actually breathe, actually take some downtime, and then they'd switch. And I thought that was brilliant, right? Just a little, a little tiny thing to do rather than them both sitting there, both on constantly, because then nobody's getting a break. Yeah, it's this, this and, world of hypervigilance. Sorry, go for it. And could home be that to some extent? Home would be, it would be awesome if home was like that. Like if I felt like I could go home and <sighs> breathe. And someone would watch for you. Yeah, that would be amazing. Try and, and you know, we're not right all in partnerships where that works mm -hmm. perfectly well, but like I think we probably are more than we think, right? And and certainly folks may not be married to people who are well-trained to use force if necessary, but they're married to people who or are in relationships with people who they decided at one point to emotionally trust, to yeah, let I, their guard down, sleeping next to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I And I think that's more of it, right? It is the the emotional safety and the vulnerability uh, that we kind of need at that moment, right? Uh, not so much the physical protection of things, but when right. we get, when we get home, you know, that's, we've got to, we've got to build that, that trust where we can come home and say what needs to be said or share what's, what's really there, not the layers on top of things. You know, if we and sometimes that transition coming home, you know, ideally, if you're in a, a loving partnership, like you can come home and get a hug 
and a hug that is mutual, right? Where yeah. you are feeling embraced and you are embracing. And that that's going to take 15 seconds. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but to greet your significant other with a hug and a kiss with an eye contact that says, now I'm coming home to our, our kingdom together. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving behind the kingdom that I was just in. And now I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, Morgan and I started this 20 second hug thing. Uh, which is actually pretty crazy, right? Because I guess there's some research behind the 20-second hug. Uh, and, you know, it, it works. It's nice. It's just like it's enough time to actually settle and feel yep. connected. Uh, and, you know, kind of helps reset the system in some ways. Rather and most than- of us don't get nearly the amount of touch that we need. Yeah. Especially the, you know these big protectors. Yeah. We gotta be, we gotta be badass people all the time. You know, it doesn't matter. We just gotta be on. And, you know, we, I think, I think unfortunately what we do is, and I know I'm guilty of this, we create such a level of expectation in our own minds and our own brain of how we should be at all times that, and then we project that on everybody else that, you know, they're putting those expectations on us when really we're just creating this set of expectations that nobody's putting on us and they can't keep up with. Right. And so we can then to wear everybody out around us. And I, I say this with like deep, deep affection, but it's really kind of a narcissistic exercise, right? <laughs> to, to, to inflate yourself so much that yeah. you have to be like that. The fucking superhero in every I scenario. That. I love that. And then it's you expect true. that of other people. It's like, no, you're you're amazing, but you're not that special. <laughs> so you know, yeah. like you get to be human with the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like that, but it's it's real. And I think as we age, we feel that more and more, right? When we realize our own vulnerability to things like cancer or a pulled ligament or like we feel it in our bodies and that can you either like make you really angry or help you recalibrate your own acceptance of your own limits or vulnerabilities. Yeah. I mean, I think part of this effort, right, is to get to a place where you don't have to be 45 at the end of your career dealing with all this cleanup mess and looking back going, God, I wish I had, or I wish I knew that. Or I wish I understood that, right? There's there's an opportunity early on to begin to set conditions that allow you to be amazing at your work and at your profession and be a superhero and be a rock star and be phenomenal and be the same thing for your family or your friends and the people that you're connected to as well. Like it doesn't, it's not a one or the other. Right. You know, and I, I feel like it gets created a little bit like that. We get kind of, you know, it's like getting on a slide, you know, when you you're start- a hero or you're a zero. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, oof, it's rough. It's rough. Wow. Well, I want to dig in a little bit more, uh, in Wednesday's episode. What I, I really want to look at how we, how we set up more transitions. I want to dive a little bit into that 
that conversation. And then, you know, we talked a little bit about the impact on family life and a few other things. But when we get into we go into this deep dive session, I want to get I want to get into some actionable spaces. I want to start looking at what are we going to do? How can we set ourselves up? And so I'm going to I'm going to play the role of my listening audience. Sherry, uh, I'm going to we're going to go at it and I'm going to kind of say what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, what I will really hope that we'll do is create some hard line aspects for people to start actually implementing and putting in place. And so I really appreciate you joining me uh, on this Monday. I think it's been a really cool conversation so far. We've hit some really key points. I've teared up a little bit already. I I don't know that I'll air this because you call me out too much. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's what makes you good at your job. Damn it. Let someone else drive, Jeff. <laughs> Let somebody else drive. Yes. I'll, I'll tell Morgan, okay, you got to go listen to this episode because, you know, she had your back and and you can drive the car. She'll be happy to hear that. So, all right, well, stick around for me. Uh, let's go to the deep dive. Thank you so much for joining me and we'll speak to you on Wednesday. Okay, so that wraps up this Monday morning episode of Mindset Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really enjoyed it and I hope you got something out of it. Make sure that you're downloaded and subscribed and set up for Wednesday's episode because we're gonna go further into this conversation with Sherry and you won't want to miss it. All right. So as we wrap up today, three quick action items I need you to do. One, I want you to get in to the Mindset Radio Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Mindset Radio. Go on in, join the group and get in this conversation. Like I want to hear back from you, your thoughts on today's episode. You can always go to opmindset.com backslash mindset radio to check out the show notes, connect with Sherry, look at Zen Founder, maybe even pick up the book, uh, find out some more information there. And while you're on the site at opmindset.com, opmindset.com, you know, you might as well go ahead and sign up for my 30 days to an operational mindset. You'll get an email from me every day with some really cool insights into some of the core underlying factors that will truly improve and elevate your operational mindset and put you in the conditions that you need to be in. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Wednesday.